Romans 8, verses 18 through 30 this morning, 18 through 30. Romans 8 is full of good news, full of good news. It begins that way. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's verse 1. That is good news for those who are in Christ Jesus. The good news continues, though. We saw last week we have the Holy Spirit. We have the blessing of adoption in Christ and the blessing of an inheritance. And yes, it keeps getting better. And this morning we will see primarily the blessing of being able to trust in a God who has our best interest at heart in the way things work out in our life. And so let's look together. I'll give you the reasons why we can trust God uh, today. So beginning in verse 18, reading through verse 30. For I consider... That the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that our hearts would be knit together today in the truth of your word, that we might rejoice in the hope that we have, that we can trust you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things that is true of all of us in the Christian life is something that is rather simple. Do we trust God? Do we trust God? Even when crazy things are happening in our world, in our society, or in our personal life, do we trust God? And I'm thinking two ways here of trust, of that word trust. There is the first trust that happens that is really an entree into the Christian life. The entry point of the Christian life involves trusting God, His solution for our sin problem. 
So that's the first use of trust. You must trust in that way in order to be saved. But our focus this morning is really on this second way of trust, not the trust that brings you into the Christian life, but the trust that keeps you in the Christian life, so to speak, the everyday walking with God kind of trust. That trust is really lacking in many of our lives with respect to what we rely on, what we depend on, and how I see Christians chase after politics as a means to accomplish, and that's just one example, of good in this world. Trust is lacking in the way that I see Christians chase after politics to affect change that only God can accomplish. Trust is lacking in the outrage Christians show when non-Christians act like non-Christians. Remember back to Romans 1.32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So we have Romans 1.32, which already tells us what the world is like, so why do we show this kind of outrage as if uh, God is not in control? I see a lack of trust among Christians in the way we think the world is falling apart, but Colossians 1.17 reminds us that God holds all things together. Things cannot be falling apart if Colossians 1.17 is true, that God holds them all together. So we show a lack of trust in these ways, and especially in the anxiety and the worry we have for big and little things in life. Uh, the answer to that, the solution to our lack of trust is a God that we can trust. And here you'll see in these passages three primary reasons we can trust God, and it is the answer to our anxiety and our worry. It is the answer to our frustration with politics going on right now. It is the answer to every uh, moment of outrage we might experience. So let's look at the three reasons we can trust God. First, we have a better future. Let that sink in for a moment. We have a better future. We have in Christ, so I'm talking specifically about Christians, if you're a Christian, if you placed your faith in Christ, you have a better future. If you haven't trusted Christ yet, this is not true of you. Look in verse 18. For I consider, this is the Apostle Paul writing, I consider that sufferings of this present time are not co worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is a change in topic here in Romans 8. The word consider is used there, and Paul is saying, I'm going to introduce this topic, and let's think through it rationally, logically, truthfully. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That utilization there of that word suffering is the same word Jesus uses in Luke twenty-two fifteen, 15. 
Jesus says in Luke 22, 15, he said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. It's a reference there in Luke twenty-two fifteen 15 to Jesus' torture, death at the hands of the Romans by crucifixion. That same word is carried into and is the word that the Apostle Paul uses here in Romans 8, 18 to describe the suffering we might experience in this life. And certainly, if you know anything biographically about the Apostle Paul, he who was previously stoned, tortured, shipwrecked, we know that he knew what it was to suffer. But how do you and I suffer? We are not under physical threat or distress yet. But how do we suffer? You still suffer in this world. You know, I consider the sufferings of this present time you still suffer in this world as a Christian. Everyone does. And I've, I'm going to list for you seven ways here that we experience suffering. So you and I, in this zip code, with the privileges that we have and the material blessings and the lack of uh, physical torture that we might be undergo for our faith, we don't experience that, but you still experience suffering seven ways. First one, grief. Grief is an experience of suffering. Death does not belong in this world. It was introduced in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, two historical people. Death came into the world. Death, it, our grief is suffering. Second way we might suffer, self-denial. This is where, it's a rarity these days, we might decide not to get what we want or not to get what we need in order to benefit another person or the cause of Christ. So we can suffer through self-denial. That's the second way. Third way, living the other-centered life. Living the other-centered life. Just ask a new parent. Just ask a new parent. That's suffering. I remember our twins were maybe three, four months old, and I Remember, I rolled over in bed and I looked at Tracy and I said, I know why the CIA tortures people by depriving them of sleep. I had never felt worse in my life. Living the other-centered life is a kind of suffering. A weariness in doing good, that's the fourth one. Weariness in doing good, you can get tired doing good. You can get burned out. You can get frustrated with all the evil in this world, and here you are trying to do good. Fifth way, people like us suffer, even though we're free uh, and, and not under physical threat. Being sinned against. Being sinned against causes us to suffer. This is when the sin of another person splashes up on, onto us. So being sinned against. Uh, Number six, being ridiculed for our faith, made to feel ashamed, uh, singled out, or being misunderstood for our faith. So I've given you six ways so far. Uh, grief, self-denial, living the other-centered life, weariness in doing good, being sinned against, being ridiculed for our faith, which includes being made to feel ashamed or misunderstood. And the last uh, category here of how people like us 
in the Western world where we're free, where we're not persecuted yet, other, the seventh one, other effects of living in the fallen world. This, this would be suffering illness, injustice, uh, or unfairness. So these are the seven ways, and, and I was just listing those quickly. You might be able to think of other uh, ways, but these are all, you know, when you read about suffering here, this is not someone in a predominantly uh, Muslim country who's persecuted for their faith, uh, or what's, what's happening or going to happen in Afghanistan under the rule of the Taliban. Uh, these are ways people in this zip code all suffer. And the comparison here is that whatever we go through in this life, and this is the good news, whatever you go through in this life, however you have grieved, suffered, uh, the sin of another person has come upon to you, caused you pain, caused you loss. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed to us. We indeed have a better future. We have a better future. And that should absolutely cause us to have joy every day. Every day, no matter what happens, we have a better future. That cannot be taken away from us. Now, there's an illustration given in verse 19, beginning in verse 19, that really compares our situation with the creation. We read in verse 19, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation, verse 20, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. The idea here in verse 20 is that God has, God the Father, has subjected creation to futility in order to bring hope and the redemptive action after the fall to bring a Savior into the world that his grace would go as far as the curse is found. So that's verse 20. So the creation, like us, lives in this in-between time where there is suffering now, problems now, but there's a better future coming. Verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Creation like us, will one day, there will be a consummation to the redemptive activity of God which began at the Garden of Eden. When Christ returns, there will be this better future. He will usher in that better future. Verse 22, well, what do we do now? We know that the whole creation has been what? Groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. In the in-between time for creation, creation is longing for this better future. We long alongside that creation, and we groan too. Verse 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption of, as sons, 
the redemption of our bodies. Now, you may say, oh, time out. We talked about adoption. That already happened. We talked about adoption last week, verse 14, and you can listen to that sermon online. This is speaking of a kind of final adoption. If you look at verse 23, wait eagerly for adoption as sons, and then notice the next phrase explains what has gone previously. So it's in a positive phrase. Grammarians, please check that. The redemption of our bodies. The redemption of our bodies is the culmination of our adoption as sons. And so you can speak of, I am adopted as a forever child of God. I will be finally adopted someday. And we can think of sanctification in that way too. Sanctification is a process and it has an end point when we go in the presence of God and are perfected. So you can speak of, many of these truths in that way that they're experienced in part now, they will finally be experienced in the future, and that's the idea here, is the redemption of our bodies. Why is it important that Christians have a resurrected body, an embodied future, that this good future we have is one that involves our body, our body being resurrected like Christ? Why is that important? Because God doesn't leave anyone behind. He doesn't leave anyone behind, meaning that he will pursue redemption as far as the curse is found. Is the curse found in our bodies? Oh, yes. You get, up, you get out of bed this morning, and you're like, maybe you're not that age. That's okay. You're like, I'm feeling that yard work I did yesterday. So God's, the good news of the gospel is it extends as far as the curse is found, God is undoing the effects of the fall, even in our bodies. That's the final point then of adoption, God's triumph over that. So we ought to be full of hope here, full of hope. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees, So we hope and we trust in a reality that we cannot see and we long and we groan together uh, like creation because we inhabit this in-between space where Christ has come and he will be coming again. And we groan together with creation longing to see him again. And I think um, the last phrase here in verse 25 provides us some application, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We wait for it with patience. And I think part of what undercuts our patience is not allowing ourselves or others to long well, to groan, to inhabit that time between the times where we have it bad now, we're going to have it better in the future. And I'll give you an example. You know, if I have a splinter, if I tell you, you know, well, I got this splinter, and I tell you about it. How many of you immediately think, I know somebody who's using a chainsaw, and they just cut that finger off right there, and they were looking for it, and then they found, and you tell me this story. They, oh, they found, they found the finger. They put it, and I'm, 
Does that help me with my splinter? I'm asking you, does that help me? And what we do is instead of sit with someone in their pain, which makes us uncomfortable, we do what humans do and we tell a story because telling a story is part of how we make meaning and we tell a story that maybe tangentially connects to what this is happening. And we do it oftentimes to sort of pat them on the head and calm them down. I got this bad splinter. Oh, did I tell you about the time? Did I tell you about the time I got a splinter? Yeah, I messed with that nail gun and it went straight through. And I'm telling you, you know, let me tell you a story about how bad I had it or how bad somebody else had it to calm you down. And I want to tell you, it's important not only to have good doctrine as a church, you got to have good community. And good community is a Romans 12:15 community. Romans 12:15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And so when you what I'm inviting you to do is suppress that desire to tell your own story or to tell a story and connect with the person in the midst of their situation. So you may have had a splinter. You may have seen somebody cut off their finger or whatever. It's not story time. It's rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep time. And enter into that pain because that fosters community rather than unplugging community. Try it next time somebody tells you a moment of pain or grief that they have experienced Don't tell them a story to try to regulate their emotions. Don't relate to them that way. Instead, just sit with them in their longing, groaning, and pain. And that will communicate more of the love that Christ has for people. That's what he did. That will communicate the love that God has for people, and it will also help foster that true community that we want. We want true doctrine, yes. We want true community as well. And and what this gets at is, it's okay to long. It's okay to long for better days and to just sit in that longing and not to resolve it. Not to resolve it. And I want to point out one more thing regarding application. It's okay to long. It's okay to say, I long for better days. At the very end of the Bible, Revelation 22, second to last verse, there's an unresolved longing here. And we read in Revelation 22, verse 20, second to last verse of the Bible, he who testifies to these things says, this is quoting the risen Christ, Surely I am coming soon. And John writes, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. There's just that longing in those words, isn't there? There's not a resolution. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. He's coming back soon. Come, Lord Jesus. Do you hear the longing in that? 
Come, Lord Jesus, fix what is broken and wrong in this world. Come, Lord Jesus, and comfort those who long to see your justice, those who long, who are grieving, who need comfort. Come, Lord Jesus. If that makes you uncomfortable, we're called to sit in that discomfort and to be with people in the midst of their struggle with the in-between times. So I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We are going to have it so good, so good in Christ, it, you can't even compare it with this time now. Well, what helps us now? One of the things, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, but the Spirit helps us. This is the second reason we can trust God. First reason, we have a great future. Second reason, the Spirit helps us. Look at this, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Why is that? Look in the previous verse, verse 25. We wait for it with patience. Well, sometimes we don't have patience. So what do we need? We need help. And the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Verse 26, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Too deep for words. So the Spirit takes the sighs and groanings of our heart that are a result of living in the in-between times where we're suffering in one of those seven ways there, and we're longing Come, Lord Jesus, we're longing for that, for that day. And the Spirit is helping us in the midst of it because we feel weak. We can't affect change on a global scale. We feel weak. But the Spirit helps us by praying for us, intercedes, that's verse 26, with groanings too deep for words. In other words, the prayer is on such a real heart level, revealing our inner lives. That prayer is taken by the Spirit to the Father. Look at verse 27. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. That's the Father. He knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Spirit helps us as we pray. God hears our groanings. And a great, great place to uh, see this is Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, verse 34. Acts seven thirty four. Stephen here, about to be martyred, recounting in his speech Old Testament history, we come to verse 34 in Acts 7, and he quotes here what God says to Moses as Moses is uh, at the burning bush and called into ministry. Uh, Acts 7, 34, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their, what? Groaning. And I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. 
You see, the Lord is responsive to groaning. He's responsive to the groaning of his people. When his people groan, I will come down to deliver them, to deliver them. This is God's work among us, that when we groan, he hears us when we groan, and he comes down to deliver us, to help us. You know, when you're most exacerbated exacerbated by, exasperated, excuse me, exasperated by life, those are some of the best prayers you pray. You know those prayers where you're just like, ah, or mm, mm, mm. Those are prayers that the Spirit takes to the Father, and those prayers are shaped and honed in the throne room of heaven to be according to the will of God. Look at this at the end of verse 27. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Those are the best prayers. The prayers that get answered are the ones that are according to His prayer. So sometimes we sigh. Our sigh is a prayer, and that prayer is carried by the Spirit to the throne of grace according to God's will. So when you pray, you look what's going on in the world, you say, mm, mm, mm. I also look at what's going on in my own life, and I go, mm, mm, mm. Those are prayers that God answers in the midst of our weakness and even our inability to form the correct prayer. Does this not give you hope? Inhibit I can't even pray about this. I'm so whatever. The life of a Christian ought to be this prayer without ceasing that goes up to the throne room of heaven by the Spirit's power. The Spirit prays for us, and that gives us tremendous hope. You can trust God because our future is better. He gives us the Spirit to help us in our weakness, and our prayers go up. But you can trust God because of verse 28 here. All things work together for good. Look at verse 28. I mean, we could argue verse 28 is maybe the most hopeful verse in the entire Bible. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. Here's the thing. Sometimes we've got to pay attention here to the specifics of this verse Look at verse 28. We know that for what? Those who love God. So if you are not there, and I'm not talking about the God that, you know, if you've ever heard those prayers in an ecumenical, not in a good way setting, dear heavenly being above, you know, it's not. The God of the Bible. For those who love God, and then here's the thing, all things work together for good. All things work together. I've heard it compared, this in an original with me, that it's like a tapestry. All things working together like a tapestry, not the side that you're looking at, but the flip side of it that goes against the floor. You look at that, and it's just a mess and a jumble of string, isn't it? And, and no discernible design. But you flip it over and it's beautiful. 
we look at the underside of the tapestry. And we can't make sense of all these strings and through lines and themes and things that happen, but God's looking at the other side. It makes perfect sense to a perfect God. And so we can't always discern the threads, and that's why it says here, all things what work together for good. And then another qualification for those who are called according to His purpose. And those who are called according to His purpose are the ones who love God, are the ones who are found in Christ united to Him. And so this is not true for a, for a deist, a person, you know, that heavenly being above stuff, or the um, non-Christian. It's not true. But for the Christian, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And oftentimes we're trying to flip over the rug to, to see the other side, to see the side that God sees, but you can't do that in this life. Whatever you understand in this life, sometimes you and I, sometimes we'll be able to say, oh, that happened in our life, man, it was painful, but now I see that God used it for good. Sometimes you'll be able to see that, but there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee in this life that we will be able to discern that. Definitely in the next life, we will be able to discern that, but not necessarily in this life. But we can have the confidence and the trust that God is working for our good. And look at this, for those who are called according to his purpose. In verses 29 and 30 form an unbreakable chain. And once you enter into that chain, you will absolutely come out on the other side. Look at verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So there's an unbreakable line here. Those whom he foreknew, those whom he started with, he also predestined. What did he do uh, what did he predestine them to? Verse 29, to be conformed to the image of his son. In, in other words, the end point of sanctification. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Notice there's no change. There's no change in the group of people that God is working his redemptive action on. If you go in at the foreknew, you come out at the glorified. Those whom he predestined, verse 30, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. So you see this progression with the exact same people. It's not, it isn't, verse 30 is not this way. Those whom he predestined, some of them he, he called. And maybe a few more he justified. And then he lost some of those, but then the rest he glorified. No, that's not Christianity. All the way to the end, true faith perseveres all the way to the end. Otherwise, it's not true faith. God is able to do that. And it's another reason why we trust in him. He is powerful to save, powerful to glorify us, the final step there. I hope you've seen this morning that you can trust God. Even in the crazy times we're living in, even when the going gets tough, even when 
we suffer and experience suffering? Absolutely, because we can be confident of this, that if you belong to Christ, you have a better future. You have a better future. And if you belong to Christ, you have help in the midst of your weakness. As we're groaning, saying, oh, Jesus, come back. The Spirit helps us in the midst of our weakness. And we can with confidence say all things work together for good, for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. All things work together. You may know it in this life and be blessed to know it. You will certainly know in the next life. And that's why we trust in a great and magnificent God. Let's pray together. Lord, how thankful we are for this passage of Scripture that reminds us of your greatness and gives us a wonderful sense of hope. And Lord, we need that hope. We need to know that the God that we trust in will never fail us. And so help us in the midst of our weakness. Let our sighs and our groanings be formed into wonderful prayers according to your will that we might know your redemptive work is unstoppable and unbreakable. And we pray that in trusting you, we would continue to be formed more and more after the image of our Savior we ask in Christ's name.